So when, when I was in high school, I went to a party, all right? And I know you're like, what? How could you do something? I know, I know, I, I, but I went to a party when I was in high school, okay? And so I went to this party and uh, then there was some drinking and I, I, I had something to drink. And, and very soon after we were there, uh, the cops showed up. And so if you've ever been at a high school party, and I know none of you have done that, I'm the only one. And so, uh, but if you've ever been to a party like that and you're in, in high school and you're not of age, uh, what do you do? You run. And so I ran out the back door. I, I hopped this fence faster than anything I had ever done before in my life. And, and we were running uh, to like the blocks over to our car because you don't ever park like where the party's at when you're in high school. So we parked blocks away. So we were running through this neighborhood. We get to our car and, and I think that we're, we're home free. Okay. We, we go and I'm spending the night with a friend, you know, and, and so I get home the next day and uh, my mom says, Hey, Hey Clayton, can we go for a drive? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, let, let's go. And so we go for a drive around our, our neighborhood. And my mom says, Clayton, what were you doing last night? And I'm like, I was, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, I was spending night with a, with a friend and, and we were hanging out and she was like, uh, did you go to a party last night? And I'm like, what, what? I would never do something like that. You know? And my mom's like, Clayton, just, just spare me the, the, the lies. And I'm like, okay, I, I know where you were last night. I, I know that the cops showed up. And um, I was like, how did you know that? Like that was last night. Like how did you, how have you already figured that out? Like I, I, I didn't understand. And so I was asking her, mom, how did you know this? And she was like, Clayton, I'll, I'll never tell you how I, I, I knew about it, but just know, I always know what you're doing and what you're saying and where you're going and who you're with. And that scared me to death. Okay. How is it that my mom knew where I was and what I was doing the, the night before? I, I had no idea. And I still, to this day, I have no idea how my mom knew that. How many of you got parents like that? They're like, they knew, okay, almost everybody. So all of you know what I'm talking about. Like your parents somehow, they, they knew or they, they found out. And some of you are like, I never found out. Like, and like you, then you had different parents than, than, than I did. Okay. So my mom knew it was funny. A couple months ago, uh, my, my sons were playing football at this park and they got home from playing football at the park. And, and I said, Levi, why were y'all playing at this park and, and not the park you, you told us you were going to? And he was like, how, how did you know which park I was at? And I said, well, this is all the top of my head, just pure genius. I, I said, well, you know, uh, when you were born, we had you microchipped. And so we know where you're going and what you're doing and what you're saying. Like we can hear it and see all of it. And he's like, what? He goes, no, no, you, you, you didn't do that. I go, Levi, they microchip dogs now. I mean, how much more valuable are you than a dog? You think they don't, you think they don't microchip dogs and they're not going to microchip babies. And he was like, what? I said, yeah, you, I mean, we, we, we've always known everywhere you are and wherever you're going, it's a security thing. So, so we can, so, so that you're safe and so that we know where you are. And I, I thought this was a really funny joke. And all of a sudden Levi and Coben, my two sons freaked out and started crying and started trying to like reveal and to feel out where this microchip was. And I was like, Oh gosh, that went badly. I didn't see that going like that. I mean, they totally freaked thinking that we had them microchip. They were crying and, 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 and complaining and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, Oh, whoa, no, no, it was just a joke, just a joke. And they're like, well, how did you know then? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you that. It was in your watch, but I'm not going to tell you, you know, how we knew where you were, but just know, right? 
I, can, I always know what's going on. I can see it. I can, I'm going to find out. If you do something, I'm going to know about it. Now, even though we know our parents, my parents, at me as a parent, even though I know I'm not all knowing and all seeing, our God, on the other hand, is all knowing and all seeing. And some of you are like, my, my, my kids, what? God knows all and sees all. The Bible refers to this. We, come, we, have, we have the term called omniscient, that God knows all and sees all. And tonight, the name of God that we're going to look at describes this character or this attribute of God, that God is omniscient, that he is all-knowing and all-seeing. The Greek word for name means literally to know. It means to know. And so in this series, we're looking at these names of God in the Bible so that we can get to know God better. We can begin to see what his nature is, his character, his attributes. And so that hopefully as we get to know God better and what that means for us, we'll fall more in love with God than we ever have before in our lives. And so in this series, we're looking at some of the, these names of God because God even though we can't know all there is to know about God, God has revealed himself. He has disclosed himself in the Bible. And so we can get to know who he is and, and, and we can get to know some of what he's like and, and we can get to know what he wants from us and desires for us. And we can get to know how to have a relationship with this God because he has chosen to reveal himself to us. And we want to get to know him, because as we get to know him, we believe it will change our lives. So we're going to continue tonight. The second name of God that we're going to look at tonight is El Roy, which means the Lord sees. The Lord sees all and knows all. Our God is omniscient. He is all knowing and all seeing. And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis 16, uh, get your phone out, open up you version, uh, follow along with us. We'll be in Genesis 16, but we're also, we're going to be going to several other places to kind of check this out and what all this means. Um, so it would probably be better just to go to RaiderChurch.com on your phone, uh, click message notes, and you can follow along with us. You'll see all the verses there, all the points are there for you to take and, and to keep with you. Okay. So let's go. Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse one, let's look at our God who is all Seeing. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. And so Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Now we're going to stop right here and talk about this for just a second. Some of you know that earlier back in Genesis 12, God has told Abram, that through you and your wife, Sarah, you will have a son and through your seed, all the families on earth, literally, it says all the nations, but literally it means all the families on earth will be blessed through you, Abram and Sarah, you, through you, through your seed, all the families on earth will be blessed. And so that's what God has told Abram and Sarah. In fact, when Sarah like hears God talking with Abram about this, she laughs because they are so old. They're like, they're so old that she, she knows it's impossible. And so she laughs at what God was saying to Abram. And God says to Sarah, are you laughing? And she says, no, I, I didn't laugh. And God says, no, 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 I heard you. You were laughing. 
It's, it's hilarious to see this scene unfold. And so Sarah knows that the promise is actually that what God has said is that through Abraham and Sarah, all the families on earth will be blessed. But look what she's saying right here. She's saying to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Well, that's not what God said. Nothing has changed. It may seem impossible, but nothing has changed. That's not what God said. So from the very beginning, just in this story, I want you to see Sarah, because of her impatience, begins to waver, begins to doubt the Lord's promise because it wasn't happening in her timing. She began to think that what the Lord said wasn't right, wasn't correct. And so she tells Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. So watch what she says, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And then watch what happens. Like a typical dude, Abram agrees. Go and sleep with this other woman. Oh, okay, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So Abram agrees with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah says to her husband, Abram, hey, you're, it's not gonna happen through me, even though that's what God said. Clearly that's not what, what God's gonna do. That's not what he meant. And, and so Abram, go and sleep with my servant, Sarah. Guys, if you didn't already figure this out yet by reading this, this is a typical trap, okay? This is a trap. This is not going to go well. If you ever think that you could cheat like on your girlfriend or on your wife and it's gonna go well for you, let me just tell you, you are buying a huge lie, okay? It is not going to go well for you. And it doesn't go well for anyone in this scenario. Watch what happens. So Sarah, Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian servant and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. So some of you know this because you've been here for a while and we've talked about this, but the Bible is clear in Genesis chapter two, that when God created Adam and, and Eve and, and he brings them together in the first marriage, he says, so, so the man will leave his family and be united unto his wife and the two will become one flesh. They are united together. They are joined together. When God takes a man and a woman and he brings them together in a marriage relationship, they are united into one, one man, one woman for life. And Abram and Sarah know this. And because of their impatience and because of Abram's stupidity, they choose to ignore the, the plan and, and will of God and Abram has sex with another woman and she becomes pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, watch what happens. She began to treat her mistress, Sarah, Abram's wife, with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. Abram's like, what? My fault? You told her to come and sleep with me. You told me to sleep with her. Like, how is this my fault? Like, Guys, I'm sure you're feeling Abram's pain right here. Okay, I don't understand. How is this my fault? Guys, 
it's always your fault. Okay. It's just the way, it's the way it is. It's the way life is. That's the way marriage, it's your fault. The sooner you understand that and get that, the easier life will be. Okay. So, so here's, here's what happens. This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms. But now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. And so the Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. She replied, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Stop right here for just a second. And so we see the descendants of Abraham through Sarah and the descendants of Abraham through Hagar, through Ishmael at war with each other, even to this day. Their sin had huge, monumental, generational consequences. And so it's important for you to know that when you turn away from God, when you don't do things God's way, there is consequences. And many of us know that, that God has redeemed us. He has saved us from the eternal consequence of sin, which is death, eternity separated from God and hell. It doesn't mean that there aren't still sometimes temporal consequences here on this earth. So thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. You are El Roy, the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? You are El Roy, the God who sees me. And I have seen you, the one who sees me. And so in this story, we see that God is all knowing and all Seeing, and there's at least three things that he sees that God sees, El Roy, that our God, who is the God who sees, sees in this situation. Number one, God, the Lord, sees my sin. The Lord sees my sin. Sarah sinned against God. She told Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having kids, so take my servant Hagar, sleep with her. Hagar, or rather Sarah, sinned against the Lord, and the Lord saw her sin. Abram sinned against the Lord, right? Abram, taking the advice of, of Sarah, actually sleeps with Hagar. 
Knowing that God's plan, that God's will, God's way is for him to be married to his wife. He has become one with her. And what God has joined together, man is not supposed to separate or, or to join with someone else. One man, one woman for life. And Abram sleeps with Hagar. And the Lord sees Abram's sin. Hagar sins against the Lord. When not only does she have sex with Abram, when she becomes pregnant, she begins to treat Sarah harshly with contempt. And so everyone in this story has sinned against God and the Lord sees all of it. God sees their sin. God sees your sin. In Hosea chapter seven, God says this about Israel. It's people, Israel, they don't realize that I am watching them. Their sinful deeds are all around them and I see them all. In Isaiah chapter 29, God says again about Israel, what sorrow awaits those who try to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their evil deeds in the dark. The Lord can't see us, they say. He doesn't know what's going on. How foolish can you be to think that just because no one's around, just because no one else sees that everything that you've done in private with no one around in the dark, thinking you were hiding so that no one else could see, the Lord saw and was watching all of it. And God says, how foolish could you be to think that I, the Lord, don't see all of your sin. What a thought to think that everything that I've done, whether it was with someone or by myself, that the Lord has seen all of it, that he was watching. God says it's foolish to think that you're getting away with something that no one sees it. Don't be foolish, God says. I see everything that you're doing, everything that you've said, everything that you think. I see all of it. So the Lord sees my sin. Secondly, the Lord sees my distress. The Lord sees my distress, and that's great news to us. It's scary, it's convicting to think that the Lord sees my sin, but it's great news to think that the Lord sees me in my distress. When Hagar runs from Sarah, she, she runs and she's lost. She, she doesn't know where she's going. And the angel shows up and says, hey, where, where are you going? Where, where have you come from? Where, 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 are you, where are you going? And it says that the angel found Hagar. Now, now, God never lost Hagar. He, he, he never lost her. But Hagar felt lost. She felt lost. She felt like no one cared about her. No one was concerned for her and 
her welfare. She was broken over her situation. She was in despair. She was distressed. She had no idea where she was going. And so she's in the literally and figuratively in the wilderness, lost and broken. And the angel comes to her and says, where, where are you going? Where do you come from? Almost like, like God said to Adam in the garden when Adam had sinned. Adam, where, where are you? Adam and Eve were, were hiding. And as if God didn't know where they were, he allowed them to, to come out and to say, here, here I am, God. And here's what's, here's what's going on. Here's, here's what we did. God knew where Hagar had come from. God, God knew that, that Hagar was lost, felt lost, but God came to her and pursued her in her lostness, in her brokenness, in her distress. And God heard her cries for help. And so what a, what a comfort to know that God sees my distress, when I'm upset, when I'm broken, when I'm helpless, when I'm lost, when I'm frustrated, when I'm anxious, when I'm depressed, when I'm at the bottom, when I'm in the darkest valley in the wilderness like Hagar was. When I don't know where I'm going, when I don't know what's next. Some of you are graduating, whether it's this semester or next semester or in the next year, and, and you don't know what you're going, you, you don't know what's next. And that brings a lot of anxiety. It brings a lot of distress. And you need to know tonight that God sees your distress. He sees that you're lost. He sees that you don't know where you're going. He sees you. He's pursuing you in your lostness, in your brokenness, in your distress. God is pursuing you. You need to know that tonight. Even you being here right now and, and hearing this message, you need to know that God is pursuing you in your distress and he hears you. He hears you. He hears your prayers tonight. He hears your cries for help tonight. He hears you. He sees your distress. And then finally, the Lord sees my heart. The Lord sees my heart. You know, everyone in this story completely messed up everything. I mean, right? You've got Sarah, Abram, Hagar. I mean, they just, they, they all, they just completely mess everything up in this situation. And some of us have, have been there before, right? I, I mean, we've totally made a mess of everything. And sometimes it's us that makes the mess. Sometimes it's, it's someone else that, that creates the mess for us. Sometimes it's a little of both. In this situation, it's kind of a little of both, even for Hagar. But the Lord still sees Hagar in her distress and God still sees, the Lord still sees their hearts, all of them. God, even Abram and Sarah, who we would look at and say, it's really, it's really their fault. But even though they mess everything up, God still blesses Abraham 
and Sarah later with a son named Isaac. God still fulfills his promise through Abraham and Sarah and gives them a son, Isaac, through whom the son of God, the Messiah, Jesus, came from their line. And so God still held true to his promise, even though they completely messed everything up here, even though they make just a mess of everything, God still blesses them. God blesses Hagar with a son who has many descendants after her. And I believe God does that because he saw their heart. He looked past the mess and he saw their hearts. We see that to be true with King David. Some of you know, but there was a a king before David, King Saul, and the Bible says that because of the arrogance in Saul's heart, that God rejected him as king over Israel, and God's looking for a new king to take over the kingdom of Israel. And so God has this prophet named Samuel who he's using to go and to anoint the the next king of, of Israel. And God tells Samuel, hey, it's going to be this this boy, David. And Samuel's like, what? I mean, everyone's like, what? It can't be David. He's just a shepherd boy. Like, what are we talking about? I mean, he can't lead. Who is he going to lead? How could he ever be king? And and God says to the prophet Samuel this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. For I have rejected him, Saul. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord, watch this, looks at the heart. The Lord looks at your heart. And that would be true of David all of his life. David would become king over Israel, the most famous king of Israel. And God blessed him in tremendous ways in his leadership and and Israel under his authority, under his rule grew in might and power and riches. But David continued to make a mess of things most of his life. David too would sleep with someone who wasn't his wife Bathsheba would have her husband murdered and killed, would take her as a wife, would later have multiple, many wives. But for some reason, the Bible says that David was a man after God's heart. Abram, Sarah, David, you name it. They were screw ups. They were mess ups. They aren't the heroes of our stories. God is the hero of the Bible who takes messed up people who mess everything up in their lives and he takes them and he redeems them and he blesses them and he changes them from the inside. He changes their heart. The Lord is looking past everything. He's looking even tonight. He's looking past the show and the the songs and he's looking past all of the, every, all the religious routine that, that you may do or that you may be devoted. He's looking past all of that. He's looking at your heart right now to see what's there. And as he looks and sees, he'll convict you of what's in your heart. He'll convict you of the condition of your heart. 
And as he does that, by the power of his spirit, he will change your heart and he will change you from the inside out. Jesus said, when you look at the things you do and and you look at the things you say, it's really just an overflow of what's in your heart. And so God's looking at your heart because he wants your heart. He wants to change your heart tonight because as he changes your heart, it will change everything you do and everything you think and everything you say. The Lord is looking at your heart tonight. And the great news in that is that even though Abram and Sarah and Hagar, even though they completely messed up all of this stuff, God is looking past their sin because it was paid for through the blood of Christ. We talked about that last week. He could look past their sin and he could have grace and mercy towards them and bless them anyways, because I believe the Lord saw their heart. And so the great news is that even though the Lord sees our sin, he sees our distress. He sees our heart because our God is El Roy, the God who sees all and knows all. And so there's three takeaways from this tonight, and then we'll be done. The first takeaway is this, that running doesn't prevent God from seeing. Running doesn't prevent God from seeing. Hagar ran. In her sin, in her distress, she ran from Abram and Sarah. She ran into the wilderness. She had no idea where she was going. And the Lord still saw all of it, where she was, where she was going. The Lord was watching all of it. And so you can think, I can run from this situation or I can run from God and God will see you the whole time. In Psalm 139, it says this, that, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, the highest heights, you're there. If I go down to the grave, to the lowest of lows, you are still there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Watch this. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. There is nowhere you can go that God is not there and does not see. In the lowest of lows, in the darkest of moments, God is there and sees you. At the highest of highs, the pinnacle, the the mountaintops of life, God is there and he 
sees you. God was watching when you were being formed in your mother's womb. He was watching. I mean, do you, do you see, do you feel the, the intense care and love that God has for you? That no matter where you are or where you've been or where you're going, God is there and he sees you and he's watching. And so there is nowhere you can go. There's nowhere you can run where God is not there and where he does not see. Running doesn't prevent God. From seeing. The second takeaway is this. Seeing, God seeing, doesn't prevent God from helping. God seeing your mess doesn't prevent God from helping you. God saw Hagar in her distress. He heard her. In spite of her sin, in spite of making a mess of everything, she ran and God saw her. And even though God saw all that happened between Abram and Sarah and Hagar, he still helped. You know, in Hebrews chapter two, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. So watch this. So he is able to help us when we're tempted. Jesus, watch this. He wants to help you. Like in your sin, in your temptation to sin, Jesus wants to help you. He's not trying to hold you down or, or when, he, when you fall, like kick you while you're down or, or laugh. With. No, no, no. Jesus wants to help you. And so you don't have to run from Jesus. You can run to Jesus tonight, regardless of what you've done. Because watch this. God's already seen it anyways. He's seen everything that you've ever done and he's still pursuing you. He still wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants you to be near and close to him. And so it says in Hebrews 2 that Jesus wants to help you. It says later in Hebrews 3 and 4 that we have a high priest, Jesus, who sympathizes with us in our weakness. And so we can come to the throne of grace we can come to God's throne and we can kneel and bow before our God and we can say, help me because we have a high priest in Jesus, your advocate, your defender, your helper who wants to give you grace and mercy to help you out of your mess, to help you out of your brokenness, your lostness, your distress, your anxiety, your depression. He wants to help you because he loves you and he cares about you. He wants to help you. And so regardless of what mess you're in, know that Jesus has seen every step and trip and fumble along the way to make the mess that you may find yourself in. He's seen it all, but in spite of all of it, just like Hagar and Abram, and so he wants to help you. And so his seeing your sin his seeing your heart, your mind, your thoughts doesn't prevent God from helping you. In fact, it's the opposite. He wants to help. He wants to help. And how incredible is that after last week, knowing we have this omnipotent God who has the power to create things out of nothing, 
who can speak and light appears, the earth, the heavens, the, the life appears from death. This is the omnipotent, all-powerful God that we have, and he wants to help you. He wants to help. And then the third takeaway is this. The helping from God isn't always what we're expecting. The help that God will bring, that God will give, isn't always what you're expecting it's going to be. Watch this. When God comes to Hagar through the angel, right? And wants to help her. And Hagar tells the Lord, this is what's going on. This is my problem. This is the the situation. What does the angel say to Hagar? Return to Abram and Sarah. Go back, return to them and submit to them and to their authority. Uh, what? No, 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 no. Um, maybe I didn't tell you the whole situation. Maybe Elroy, the God who sees all, maybe you didn't see everything that happened there. Go back, go back to them. What, you, know, you, you must be confused. You see, oftentimes, when the Lord comes to help, it'll be in a way maybe that you aren't totally expecting. You see, a lot of times when there's a tough situation, when there's a mess, we want to run from it and be done with it and move on. And God will say, no, 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 you need to go back. You need to go back and you need to submit to the people that you wronged, that wronged you. You got to go back. You got to return. You see, sometimes whether it's a damaged relationship, we'd rather just not address it. We'd rather not mess with it. We'd rather not deal with it, whether it was their fault or or my fault or, or both of our faults. We would rather just run from the situation into something new rather than going back and repairing what was, reconciling what was. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you messed something up at a job or someone did something to you, something went wrong and, and you ran from the job. You, you just, you didn't go back or, or you quit and left. Maybe it was a friendship, a friendship that was broken. And you'd rather just kind of leave it alone and not deal with it, not mess with it because it's too hard. That's too difficult. Maybe it's a situation with a family member relationships broken and you'd rather not mess with it. You'd rather not deal with it. You'd rather just move on. The easy thing to do is just to move on is to, to leave it alone. It's too hard to go back. It's too hard to, to go back to that relationship and to deal with the problem and to confront the issues, whether it's in them or in me, that's, that's hard. That's difficult. Maybe it's with the church. If you hadn't been there yet, I'm just telling you right now, as you follow Jesus, you're gonna get upset with the churches that you go to. That's just the way it is. Like people, we are jacked up. I am messed up. There's nothing special about me. You, if you were, if you kept coming here like forever, like you just didn't graduate or something and you just kept coming to Raider Church or something, you know, for the rest of your life, you would get upset with me about something if you were here long enough. You'll get upset with each other. 
when you move on and whether you get married or not, and some of you are like, I, I, I'm not, there's no or not, like I wanna get married. So, but, but when you move on, like, and you go to another church, I promise you, if you go there for very long, you're gonna get upset with somebody at that church. You're gonna get upset with a, with a pastor. And what so many people do is they just leave, they take off and they never deal with it. Because that's the easy thing to do is just to go find a new church. And where we see this the most prevalent, which is the most dangerous, which is why we're talking about this is we see it in marriage relationships all the time. Things aren't going well, things aren't going right. It's easier just to leave, to take off. Dealing with the issues, going to counseling or admitting where you were wrong or, or sticking with it and, and, and working it out. That's too hard. That's too difficult. That's not making me feel good. That's not making me happy. And so we begin to say, well, the Lord really just wants me to be happy. And so we move on to what's easier or what feels good or what we think is going to make us happy. We go against what God has said in his word that what God has joined together, man does not separate. And we take the easy way out. And so sometimes in your distress, in your brokenness, in your lostness, when God comes to help and you're like, yes, Lord, I need your help. Would you help me? And God says, no, okay, here, here, here's the help. I, I want you to go back. I want you to go back and deal with the problem. Confront the issue because the Lord knows that's what's best for you. You're only going to grow. You're only going to mature in life or spiritually or in your marriage relationship or in your relationship with the church as you learn how to deal with conflict in a godly and biblical way. The easier thing to do would just be to run. But God says, no, no, no. I'm gonna help you, but you gotta go back. You gotta deal with it. You gotta confront the issues. And so sometimes the help isn't going to be what you'd expect. And so I, I can imagine the Lord coming to Hagar in this situation and saying, hey, okay, um, I, I want you to go back. And Hagar being like, uh, come again? No, no, no. I want you to wipe them out. Like, right? I mean, that's the way a lot of times we're, we're, we're thinking. No, no, it was their fault. God, would you deal with them? Would you like smite them or whatever it is that you do? God, you know, can, can, you, can you just take care of them and, and, and deal with them for their, for their terrible sin and the way that they've treated me? And I think God was saying to Hagar and saying to you and to me, no, 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 no. You're gonna go back because in the same way I'm having grace and mercy to you, I'm having grace and mercy towards them. You don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. But in the same way I'm having patience with you and forgiving you, I'm having patience with them and I'm going to forgive them. So no, Hagar, I'm not gonna wipe them out. You're gonna go back.
You know, one of the most amazing things to me about Jesus was in Matthew 26, right before the Last Supper. It says that Judas was working behind the scenes with the Jewish authorities to hand Jesus over to be arrested. He was betraying Jesus. So, so Judas is working out all the details to, to have Ju- Jesus handed over and he, he's working it all out. And then he's back with Jesus and they have the Lord's supper together. And Jesus knowing what the cup represents his blood that would be shed on the cross for Judas's sin and gives the bread that represents his body that would be beaten and hung on the cross for Judas's sin, gives him the bread and the cup anyways. Having known and saw what Judas just did, he saw it. And yet he sits down with his betrayer at the table anyways and passes him the bread and the cup. And then you know what happens after dinner? They're walking along and Jesus tells them, one of you's gonna betray me. Tells Peter, it's gonna be you, Peter. Before the, the night's even over, before the rooster crows the next morning, you will deny that you've even known me. And Peter's like, no, 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 not me, Lord. Even if I have to die, I will never betray you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, you don't understand. You're going to betray me. You're gonna deny that you even know me. Jesus, knowing and seeing what Peter was going to do, passed him the bread and the cup anyways. So Jesus seeing what Judas had done and seeing what Peter was going to do, passed them the bread and the cup anyways in spite of their sin, in spite of knowing and seeing what had been done and what was going to be done. I just wanna invite you to bow your heads, to close your eyes. Tonight, some of you are here and you've never given your life to Jesus. I want you to know tonight that Jesus has seen everything you've ever done and everything you're going to do. And tonight, in spite of that, he's inviting you. He's pursuing you and inviting you into a relationship with him, saying that I've seen everything you've done and there's a fine to be paid. There's a penalty for your sin, eternity separated from God in a place called hell. There's a fine to be paid, but my body was broken for you on the cross. My blood was shed for you on the cross. in spite of everything you've ever done and everything you're going to do. And tonight, Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with himself. And some of you are here tonight and that needs to be the commitment that you make tonight so that Jesus changes you from the inside out. 
You can't do it on your own. You can't save yourself. The Bible says salvation is not a reward for being a good person or for going through all the religious routine. God's looking at your heart. And the only way your heart can be changed, your sin forgiven is to give your life to Jesus and say the bread that represents his body that was broken for me and the cup that represents his blood that was shed. That was for me, it's for my sin. And tonight you need to give your life to Jesus. Others of us tonight, we come into this place and we've walked away. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep, we go astray. We each go our own way. You've gone astray. And you need to know that tonight, in spite of everything you've ever done and everything you're going to do, the Lord has seen it all and he still wants to help you. He wants to help you come back to him tonight. And if you would say, Jesus, I've, I've been away, I've turned away, would you help me tonight to come back to you? Change my heart. I believe God will come and change your heart tonight. Elroy, the God who sees all and knows all, will change you from the inside out and set you on fire for Jesus all over again. Tonight, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. But before we do, we're gonna sing a song and later Brandon will tell you what to do and where to go in order to take that. But tonight, in prayer, I want you to make this your prayer. In Psalm 139, it goes on to say this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Would you make that your prayer? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, God. You see everything. Would you point out anything in me or in my heart that you see that you don't like? And would you help me and lead me in your everlasting way? You see, as you take the Lord's Supper here in just a second, the Bible is clear that we don't take that without examining our hearts, without examining ourselves and seeing whether there's anything offensive in our life that God sees. And we need to deal with that. The Lord's Supper is for people who are followers of Jesus, who've given their life to Christ, who then have prayed and examined themselves to see if there's anything offensive or any sin in their life. And then they go and they take the bread, recognizing and knowing that that bread represents the body of Christ who was broken for me. And that cup represents the blood of Christ that was shed for me, knowing everything I've ever done and everything I'm going to do. I take that knowing that it's for me. And so tonight, I want to invite you to make that your prayer. As a follower of Jesus, test me, know me, see if there's anything offensive in me, point it out, God, and then help me to change. And so God, tonight, as we worship, would you point out anything in us that you see that we, we don't? Or maybe that you see that we've seen for so long, but we continue to deny it and to run from it. But God, tonight, would you point it out? And would we say, God, now would you change my heart and lead me in your everlasting way? And so tonight, as we worship, make that your prayer. Let's stand. We're going to sing. Make that your prayer. And then Brandon will lead you here in just a second to go get the bread and to get the cup.